Laura. It's Franchiseography, the podcast that digs deep into the entire filmographies of Hollywood's biggest film franchises. I'm Nick Jimenez. I'm Scott Corelli. Today, we continue our miniseries on the Star Trek film franchise with the third film adapted from the legendary Gene Roddenberry TV series. It's 1984's The Search for Spock. And we have a guest joining us to talk about friendship, fires, and resurrection. It's Norman Mitchell. Hello, happy to be here. Great to have yes. you on. Welcome. We last time you were on was for X Men, right? For X Three. Yeah, yeah. X Three. Yeah. <laughs> Another oh, third wow, that's movie a long following time. a much more critically well received second film. That's true. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, that's your brand. Not. <laughs> it really is. Not not specifically the 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 less talked about third film in a in a trilogy, but uh, films, but just like the less talked about films is sort of your brand. Um, it's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Norman, what is your uh, personal history relationship with like the Star Trek original movies? Uh, I think. I never saw any of these like in any re-releases or anything in theaters. I had heard about some now and then. Like my local movie theater when I was a kid used to do re-releases of classic movies all the time. And I know that they did some of these, but I never saw them as a kid. I saw all of these on TV growing up. Mm -hmm. I saw them on like, they showed them on like the Sci-Fi Channel or AMC and stuff like that. Spike. Um, Spike, yeah. I feel like they played the sixth one a lot. When I was mm-hmm. a kid, I feel like I've seen the sixth one maybe the most recently, if not the most overall, Undiscovered Country. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that they played Generations a lot once that had a TV license. I saw that a lot too. Mm-hmm. Um, but this has always uh, been like one of the ones I like the most. I really like three and five, actually. <laughs> I, I, well, yeah, we'll, we'll talk about five when we get there, but I have not, I have not heard anyone. Uh, just like really go out of their way to like um, defend that one, uh, even though there are lots. Of oh, I think of five is a like. mess. I just enjoy it. Yeah, sure. Yeah. OK, so we're probably on the same page with that one. then. Yeah, I think I do this once an episode. Um, so Final Frontier is the murder mystery one. No, Undiscovered, Undiscovered Country God is the fucking... murder mystery. Yeah, just 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 yeah. remember it. Final Final Frontier yeah, means heaven and God. Okay, undiscovered yes. country is peace with the Klingons, <laughs> like a country. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I see. Yeah. Yes. 
That's how. Yeah. That's the only way that I've gotten to remember it is that I've I've started like yeah. oh yeah like undiscover country peace with the Russians okay and then <laughs> yeah yeah the final frontier is heaven yes heaven mm-hmm. life uh, beyond if Klingons are near it's not final frontier <laughs> yeah hey here you go okay. <laughs> nailed it <laughs> if Sarek uh, is around it's really spiritual yes. Uh, true in this one too mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah really yeah really really interesting vulcan stuff this week mm-hmm. um scott do you have any uh so this is a movie that you and i talk about a lot and use as a reference point a lot when we're writing yeah um so i i every time i watch wrath of khan i'm always like Oh no, Wrath of Khan is great. There's no way that I like Search for Spock better than Wrath of Khan. Wrath of Khan is like a perfect Star Trek movie. And then I watch Search for Spock and I'm like, "No, no, I do like Search for Spock more." And 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 I I know that's crazy because like the plot <laughs> and the story for Wrath of Khan is so good and the thematics are so good, but god damn it do i i just like the crew being buds and hanging out and and pulling capers together there it's so fun it's so fun seeing them go out on a limb to save their friend and just like to me search for spock is the movie where the enterprise crew stop being co-workers and become a family and sort of become what in my mind the iconic version of all of these characters happens here in this movie um, Spock aside, because, you know, Spock is a lot of things, but I don't know that I'd call him iconic in this particular movie. <laughs> um, but but everybody else, I think, has like a really killer moment, you know, um, sometimes multiple killer moments. And it, it's not just about the Trinity anymore. It's the whole crew. The whole crew becomes it like becomes an ensemble yeah. rather than like a trinity of characters with supporting characters. They all sort of become one big ensemble, which then carries over into like the Abrams reboot and all of that stuff. And that's what I love. I just love all of these characters together, having their personalities and interacting with each other. And this movie has that in spades. And you could argue that Voyage Home has it even more, but Voyage Home doesn't quite feel like a Star Trek movie to me, which we'll get to next week. It's a lot of fun. I love watching it. But it's it's sort of like a off it's it's off the beaten path in terms of like what I want out of a Star Trek movie, and this just has everything. Um, and so I, I I love this movie so much, and I know there's stuff in it that people don't like. I know that people don't love Christopher Lloyd in this because he's just kind of Christopher Lloyd and Klingon makeup, and I get that. And the fight at the end is it, it can be kind of cheesy, I guess, but like that's also Star Trek to me. So yeah. <sighs> I love it. I love it. I love this movie so much. So, so much. Yeah, like, I, I agree, like, just 100% with everything Scott just said about this movie. <laughs> like, I, I literally just watched Wrath of Khan and Search for Spock back-to-back in preparation for this. Because I think of them as one long movie when I think of these these six movies with the original crew. Um, so I really wanted to rewatch Wrath of Khan, and I hadn't watched it in a while. And the whole time I was watching Wrath of Khan, I'm just like, wow, I really easily forget how perfect of a movie this is. And then I watch it and I'm just like, wow, how many real 10 out of 10 movies are there? And this is one of them. That's kind of incredible. And then I watch Search for Spock and I'm just like, oh, man, I just love this movie. (laughs) I just love it so much. (laughs) Like, I know it's like it's not as good as Wrath of Khan. Sure. But like, I love this movie so much for all the stuff Scott was just talking about. Like, I love 
Uhura's moment with that that idiot in the transporter room is like super funny. Everyone just feels they feel like a family. They really start to feel like a family, and that that's what makes this movie so enjoyable. So enjoyable. Um, yeah, I even I I even like Christopher Lloyd in this movie because I just like Christopher Lloyd just kind of being this slightly unhinged Klingon dude, and then the the fight at the end is a cheesy Kirk fight. So sure, let's go for it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think a big part of why uh, it's interesting. Yeah. Like I I almost take it for granted, but like back in the sixties up to, I guess, 84, the iconic silhouette of Star Trek, I guess, would have been the trio. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, you know, Kirk in the middle, Spock and McCoy running, you know, and like, yeah, this movie kind of like, yeah, recontextualizes it. And now I do think of this kind of like as a fast and furious style, like ensemble Mm -hmm. or like the Scoobies, you know? Mm hmm. Um, like one obvious blonde hot lead, and then like <laughs> Spock. Everybody uh, else, Spock. Uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <of course. laughs> um, like you and- do feel Spock's absence in like the the chemistry with everyone in this movie for sure. Mm-hmm. But like, mm-hmm. I think they really nail like having the movie carry on and have that energy without him. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that Spock's energy is not. You know, it's throughout. It pulsates throughout the entire movie, both in a textual sense and a metatextual sense, uh, because this is directed by Leonard Nimoy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Which, as we'll go into later, I think has a big part to play in why this feels like such an ensemble movie and why the crew has like their hero moments and are highlighted in a way that, frankly, the past two movies did a so-so job of doing, in my opinion. I mean, kind of a nothing job in motion picture and then I would say a so-so job in, in Wrath of Khan. Um, it gets like marginally better where you have like, oh, like, you know, uh, Scotty has that moment. Like, yeah, McCoy cured me of my 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 sickness of shore leave, you know. Right. Right. And right. then uh, and then. Uh, well, Chekhov has a lot, I think, in in. But it's not fun. Two. Yeah, but it's not fun. It's it's like Jeremy <laughs> Renner in the first Avengers movie. Where it's oh, like, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Very similar. <laughs> <laughs> um. So and that that journey, uh, the journey that Nimoy took to the director's chair is an interesting one. Uh, Three to four days after Wrath of Khan opened to critical and commercial success, uh, Harv uh, Bennett, Harv Bennett, producer, uncredited co-writer of Wrath of Khan. We talked a lot about him last week, received a call from then head of Paramount, Michael Eisner. Um, And Eisner was like, good job. Start writing Star Trek three. And uh, Bennett called it like the quickest turnaround he's ever experienced in his career. Mm -hmm. Um, But nevertheless, he would get to work on uh, continuing the story that he and Leonard Nimoy started hatching and scheming up on the set of Wrath of Khan. Mm -hmm. Uh, One person who would not return, however, would be director Nicholas Meyer. Uh, Meyer was unhappy with the changes to uh, Spock's fate. As we kind of hinted at last week, they kind of went over his head and he like relinquished like, okay, cool. I do what you want, but I didn't, I don't like that ending. I'm not coming back for three, mm-hmm. um, but he would return to the franchise eventually mm-hmm. directing. Give God once a spaceship, right? No, nope. That's the one that he made. No, nope. oh, Discover if, Country. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And he writes, <laughs> but he writes, he co-writes four. He co-writes four. The next one. Oh, yeah. I know that. Cool. Yeah. Uh, so... With uh, the director's chair empty, Leonard Nimoy entered Michael Eisner's office and said, "Hey, uh, <laughs> what? I'm sorry. I just, I just love, I just love that Michael Eisner is a part of this 
story. <laughs> this is, yeah, it's true. the best thing. It's, it's like when uh, so Leonard Nimoy marches into the the president of Paramount's office, who happens to be a Frankenstein, um, and <laughs> hello, <laughs> uh, hello, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's like when you're watching like a Disney Plus show, and you're like, oh, I didn't know this character was going to pop up in this. It's cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Uh, so Leonard Nimoy walks into Michael Eisner's office and says, "Hey." Uh, the only way I'm really going to be interested in acting in Star Trek three is if I'm also directing Star Trek three mm-hmm. and to Nimoy's surprise, Eisner was very enthusiastic about the idea, mostly for publicity's sake. Mm-hmm. Publicity. Mm-hmm. And I imagine uh, money because if it's his directorial uh, yeah. debut, like he's not going to cost that much, like, you know, right. as a director, right. going to be a lot cheaper than, than any other director he could get. Yeah. I didn't think about that. Uh, and that, yeah, and coupled with you, was like, oh, yeah, like Spock directing the search for Spock. Great. You're hired. Let's do it. And he was like, oh, awesome. Cool. And he leaves the office. And then like weeks to a month pass by and no word from Eisner's office, no word from Paramount. And Nimoy's like, what the heck's going on? So he calls Michael Eisner himself mm-hmm. and is like, hey, man, uh, I haven't gotten any like papers or like legal stuff or like you know are we are we doing this and eisner was like oh yeah uh, i i i i was thinking why would i let you direct star trek four you hate spock or three three like you hate yeah. spock in fact i heard that you wrote it in your contract for wrath of khan that spock had to die because you hated the characters so much so why would i have you direct the movie now that you think it's going to be a hit and nimoy was like that's not true <laughs> that's not in my contract. If you want to send an assistant down to pull up my contract from the files, you'll see that that's not in my contract. And I was like, oh, it's not? Oh, okay. I believe you. I don't, I don't have to check. You can direct. <laughs> this is... this. If, 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 if anyone has read the Disney wow. War book, um, this is truly the most accurate Michael Eisner story I've ever heard. I mean, this is just... This this is what he's like. Um he takes everything. Oh, never mind. He takes everything <laughs> at face value he hears. And so like regardless like he hears this rumor about Leonard Nimoy believes that 100% and then Nimoy's like that's not true and he's like I I believe you 100%. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. I don't need to check anything. <laughs> All right, cool. I guess I didn't have to worry about that. Carry on. <laughs> Uh, and so now that both uh, Bennett and Nimoy were on board officially, uh, they got to work on the story. Uh, the script actually only took six weeks to write. Um, wow. It, ideas kind of came flow. You know, it's interesting. Nimoy, if my understanding is correct, Scott, I'm not like a hundo on like TOS series trivia, but like a lot of the Vulcan iconography or what we know of Vulcan culture is in, it's from the imagination of Leonard Nimoy. I I do think that a lot of that is is true. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think I he think like so too. Yeah, he had like a he, strong creative hand in all of that. Cuz also, you know, they were having to create so many alien species on that show and you know, I think the fact that he was living as a Vulcan on the show day in and day out, he was like I need I need explanations for this stuff. So I'm just going to make this stuff up. And then when well, they would, and, like, do something to contradict that, he'd be like, no, 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 
I already thought this through. This is what it actually is. Mm-hmm. And they'd be like, oh, okay, whatever. We really don't yeah. care. We're, we're, un- we're in the union, and that's, all, that's, that's it. That's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, even from, like, his icon, you know, the Vulcan hand signal a salute holds, mm-hmm. like, a, a Jewish significance. And oh. he, he, he drew a lot from his, his Jewish faith and, like, you know, Judaism to reflect upon and influence Vulcan culture as a whole. Interesting. Um, and one aspect of Jewish mythology that he drew from was uh, a dybbuk, which is, um, I'm kind of out of my depth here, but like the, the concept of a spirit that has remained on earth in a state of unrest or uncertainty mm. and sometimes confusion and pain. And so they were like, well, this, that could be the concept of like, what if, you know, Spock's spirit was, you know, they, they took everything, left everything that was not of the body and gave it to bones and like it, it was up to it was up to bones to like reunion the body with the mind yeah um yeah. which is interesting it I, I think you know as an actor sometimes i like worry about i get self-conscious about overthinking stuff like oh, i'm geeking out too hard i need to chill out like nobody you know blah 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 and so i just found this really inspiring that so much of Stuff that has affected to like the lore of this big franchise came from like the imagination of like an actor who, like you said, Scott was like, well, I need to, this is, this isn't on the page. So I need to make it, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I need to live in this character somehow and make this feel real. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Norman, I'd actually love to hear your, your thoughts on that. If you, uh, I, I actually just had a question that's like kind of related to all of this and like the idea yeah. that a lot of this like Vulcan culture stuff started to really come to the forefront in these movies. Because this struck me, too, when I was watching Wrath of Khan, is they didn't use, like, alien languages in the original series, right? Those started in the movies. Like, we hear all this Vulcan, and then we hear all the Klingon in this movie. Who wrote Mm -hmm. that? Who created those languages? Oh, gosh. Yeah, no, I don't have that off the top of my head. I'm not sure. But, uh, yeah, I think it's like, you know, now we we live in a world where, like, that's a profession you can have. Like, you know, the person that created Dothraki and whatnot. Right. Like, I was just thinking about that watching them and just like, these languages didn't exist in the original series stuff. Mm-hmm. Where did these languages come from? And then they used um, them in Wrath of Khan and Search for Spock. Well, I can, I, I don't know all of them, but I know who created the Klingon language, which is a man named, uh, well, three men, uh, Mark Okrand, John Pavel, and believe it or not, James Doohan. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so yeah, apparently more questions. Great reporting, Scott. Yeah. Um, oh, as the, uh, uh, Scott, you might find this interesting. So maybe a part of the reason why the script was able to be completed so quickly, uh, Bennett actually worked backwards from your name is Jim. Mm. He was like, that's, that's the emotional ending I want. And now I just need to find out how to get there. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, and on the direct, I really like the last scene of this movie. Yes, I do as well. Uh, I think it's, yeah, it's a, it, it ends the movie on a high note. Um, yeah. They, uh, Nimoy was really a, a, attracted to the idea of making things big and operatic and like large canvas. Uh, in the script, originally Bennett wrote the Romulans to be the ones who are after the Genesis device, but Nimoy had it switched to Klingons because he felt they were more theatrical. Interesting. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah. The uh, and I guess speaking of the Klingons, it, uh, it oh, does. However, I will say it does make a lot more sense for the Romulans to want the Genesis device. Oh, it feels more like a Romulan plot than Klingons mm. wanting the Genesis device. I don't know what Klingons would even want with the Genesis device. It just doesn't feel like culturally relevant to them, I guess. Um, as opposed to like Romulans who like want an empire and et cetera, et cetera. But right. I, I mean, know. the Romulans would use it to create worlds to rule, but the Klingons right. would use it to destroy worlds. Like yeah. that's the difference between the two. The Klingons right. view think... it only as a weapon. The Romulans view it as a tool for expansion. Yeah. Yes. I guess that's true. Like, uh, you know, they, they tell they tell uh, Christopher Lloyd over and over again, Genesis doesn't work. It's broken. It's not going to like, no, no, you don't get it. I want it to do the thing that it's doing right now. Yes. Right. I wanted to yeah. use it how Khan used it. Yeah. OK. OK. Fair enough. Um, Bennett found parallels to the Soviet arms race, you know, which is not subtle. Um, sure. No. <laughs> Uh, oh, and the concept of the Enterprise, you know, blowing up, that was introduced because from Bennett's perspective, everyone sitting down when the lights when the movie starts knows exactly how this movie's going to end. Like, Spock has to come back to life. Right. Like, we can't cheat them out of that. So right. how do we throw in something unpredictable? Right. Yeah. Oh, it's one of my favorite moments in any Star Trek movie, period. Um, yeah. I'm excited that to whole, talk about that it. whole sequence. So good. Uh, Christopher Lloyd auditioned Nimoy, uh, thought he was great. He called him a chameleon. He was like, this dude rocks, goes into Harv Bennett's office and he goes, Hey, I like Christopher Lloyd. Like, let's do it. And Bennett was like, I don't know, man. Like, what if people think he's funny? Like he's so hilarious on taxi. Like, are people going to be able to take him seriously as a villain? And Nimoy was like, Hey, I'm not the guy to talk to about typecasting. Right. Like, <laughs> I... <laughs> That's fair. Like, like, I know exactly what it's like for someone to say, I don't know. I only see him as this one guy he played on TV. So I am not going to shortchange someone out of an opportunity to, like, you know, expand their box. Good for him. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah, I think, you know, I think uh, he ha Lloyd has the disadvantage of coming after Khan. Mm -hmm. And. So I think like this character, I mean, I, you know, I can't think of his name off the top of my head. That tells you something, you know, it's, it's, it's Christopher Lloyd. Krug. <laughs> um, but I think he does a good job with what he's given. And like, he has moments of like honor. And I think he's a good Klingon. Well, I, I think the issue with, with Christopher Lloyd as a Klingon is like, they haven't really figured out Klingons yet, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so like, he's kind of a weak sauce Klingon in terms of like, you know, there's that moment where he like kills that snake thing and, and it's supposed to be like, wow, what a badass. But it's like, <laughs> but he's not, <laughs> he's not intimidating at all. Like, it just doesn't feel intimidating. Like if Michael Dorn had played that same scene, you'd be like, oh shit. Um, but <laughs> there's something like inherently funny about Christopher Lloyd doing it. I don't know. Not to There'd have been like him. more like <laughs> physical intensity if Michael Dorn had done it. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, Lloyd does it kind of stiffly. Like, it's a very, like, like it's a rote thing for him to be doing. Yeah. yeah. Can we agree that in the way that, you know, Neem Spock is, like, the ultimate Klingon, like, you know, Worf is definitely, like, the perfect. I, I You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, you messed yes. that up. But yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Vulcan. He is, the, he is sort of, he's like the platonic ideal Klingon. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, For sure. I think a lot about how like I just dove I dove into the Twilight world last year <laughs> and was like, yeah, whoa, Twilight. And now I'm just like, what are these aliens called? What planet is this? <laughs> I don't know. This is where I went to school. Uh, uh, so uh, one advantage, the movie was given a uh, $16 million budget compared to Khan's $12 million budget. Uh which it feels insane to talk about now in 2022, but mm-hmm. um, that's what movies cost back then. And uh, a big chunk of that budget, they were able to bring ILM industrial light and magic into the special effects department, the, you know, part of the film from the beginning. Um, they mm. came pretty late in the game on wrath of Khan, but this right. time for search for Spock, they were able to get in from the conception floor and help design concept images. Um, and I watching this, I find, I found the, ship stuff to be like really impressive and like a big like building upon what wrath of khan did oh yeah absolutely yeah for sure yeah. like uh there were times where i actually thought like oh is this did they remaster this did they like go in and do like oh i know those are models i even think the uh i even think the uh uh, uh like matte paintings are of a better quality in this movie than wrath of khan mm. yeah yeah like the genesis and all that yeah yeah and the yeah uh, like the like that like when they're on the ridge in the like in the fight um right before mm-hmm. he falls off um that wide shot is beautiful and then all the stuff on Vulcan is really great um, yeah no, Vulcan's yeah gorgeous. really really beautiful map paintings in this one yeah they're really and, are. uh they're they still hold up mm-hmm right Absolutely. yeah no it's definitely a definitely a pretty movie um the <laughs> so the uh, they tried really really hard to not have the Enterprise blowing up uh, leaked to the public in the way that Spock's death was leaked. So uh, they deployed a lot of measures that are actually pretty common now in today's like post Marvel world. Like uh, scripts were chemically altered to where they could be like traced back. Uh, no one on the production side of things were given complete scripts. Only like what they needed to like do their jobs and build the stuff they were hired to build. Mm-hmm. Um, there were fake titles. The word Star Trek wasn't allowed to be used. The word Spock wasn't allowed to be used. The movie, uh, the code, one of the code names used was Twa. <laughs> <laughs> Nonsense. Oh, <laughs> uh, like, like as in uh, de Twa. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I yeah, see. Yeah. I see. Gotcha. Um, and despite all of that, uh, the Enterprise blowing up was in fact leaked and ended up uh, being spoiled in fan magazines back in the eighties. So it sounds um, like somebody at ILM was doing the leaking. That's what that sounds like to me. That's what it sounds like to me, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Loose lips. Uh, like, oh, no one's going to believe this. I got to tell somebody. Yeah. Um, I forgot to mention this, but way back in motion picture, they had like, you know, like Robin Williams would come to the set one day and just like walk around. You know, they had like people coming in. And this time, like every like security was like really tight. And like you couldn't get into a stage unless you had the right kind of badge and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, man. What I wonder would Robin Williams have made a good Klingon? Ooh, he's hairy and broad. Yeah, he's broad Maybe. and like you know he does good dramatic stuff. He's like he's scary in one hour photo. Um, yes, I don't know. yeah, yeah, and, uh, and he's, it's he's tough and strong and Popeye. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's big and strong and Popeye. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, he would have been a good like Q type character as well. Yes, definitely. 
Um, man. I mean, he practically uh, played they, one on TV, right? Yeah, they could have. They could have uh, made a Star Trek II: The Wrath of Trelane, and he could have played Trelane. <laughs> I don't know who that is. That's it's a Star. It's a Star Trek episode, The Squire of Gotham. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. 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 Anyway. It's like um, one of the many proto cues littered around the original series. Mm-hmm. It's it's funny. I forgot to write this down, but I I just remember in my research they like reused. Uh, like material for Mork and Mindy for some of the costumes in Star Trek Two. Oh, that that checks out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, this movie was shot almost entirely on sound stages, with production beginning uh, on August fifteenth, nineteen eighty three. So wow. shot almost entirely on the Paramount sound stages. This was much to the chagrin of uh, cinematographer mm-hmm. uh, Charles Corell, who was like, no, like, we should shoot Genesis on Kauai. Genesis would look so sick on Kauai. And they're like, no, too much money. We're shooting this on on uh, sound stages. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Scott, you're that, a big, uh, you're, you're a soundstage fan. Yeah. No, I, I, I love it. I, and I think that, I think that as a result, this looks like Star Trek to me. Um, they are able to make an alien world. Um, look like like the 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 cactuses in the snowstorm, you know, like that's a really like striking image um, mm. that I don't know they would have been able to recreate easily if they had like filmed this in Kauai. Um, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I understand the cinematographer's issue. Uh, you know, cinematographers always want to shoot on location because they're like. The sun, the uh, beautiful natural light, uh, and I understand that, but also like sometimes you got to let movies look like movies. Um, and uh, I think I do think that while some people might have preferred on location shooting for the look of this movie, because um, I know that some people think that this movie looks cheap or um, cheesy uh, as a result of all the all the set work, but um, I don't know. To me, it just looks like Star Trek. So. I prefer, I prefer this personally. Normally, yeah, I want my alien worlds like to look alien. Like that's like mm-hmm. that's a thing. Like you're not gonna bring a bunch of fake snow out into the desert and throw it on a bunch of cactuses on location. That's just <laughs> not gonna happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh no. <laughs> uh, this was uh, you know understandable for a first time director, but uh, this was a well. There is a story that William Shatner tells on the Blu-ray that I watched, and I guess like with like all Shatner stories, it's kind of unclear what is true and what is false but um his recounting of, of this story is leonard nimoy came to him and he was like oh bill you gotta help me i don't know what i'm doing i don't know how to direct bill like, like let me direct an episode of your show tj hooker just so i can learn so i can learn from you bill and and william <laughs> shatner was like so i did and he became my acolyte <laughs> everything that he knows <laughs> Then you'll then you'll talk to Leonard Nimoy, and he was like, "Yeah, I surprised uh, sh- I surprised Bill on set uh, when I showed up to direct an episode of T.J. Hooker." Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, another great William Shatner story I learned on the research was uh, so you know understandable for a first time director. Production was running a little bit behind, and Shatner, like a lot of popular you know working actors at the time, had his you know year scheduled within an inch of its life. Mm-hmm. And he needed this movie to wrap on time so he could go immediately into shooting the new season of TJ Hooker. Mm-hmm. So 
one day he's like going to set and he's like, ah, oh, we're running a little bit behind, man. We really got to cook it. You know, we're really going to, you know, we're going to time this just right. And out in the corners of the studio lot and like the, you know, the building and the soundstage, he sees, uh, flames creeping in and there ended up being a, a big fire on the Paramount lot where several studios were like fully on fire. Very and, famous. And Shatner's first thought, like his animal instinct first thought was, we're going to lose a day. And <laughs> so, <laughs> so <laughs> not, oh, people might be in danger. <laughs> no, TJ Hooker. And so he, he before the My firemen show, no. get there, yeah, before the firemen get there, he starts like grabbing buckets and like trying to get the fire out. Like, no, 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 no. Uh, meanwhile, outside, the DP, Charles, Charles Carell, sees the, the soundstage about to get on fire. And he's like, oh, we're going to shoot in Kauai. <laughs> oh, my God. Wait, everyone, just just let it happen. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. Just watch. The fire trucks come around. He's like, no, let it burn. <laughs> oh, my God. Let it all burn. Uh, and so the way Shatner tells the story is he, 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 he helped, he fought, he fought the fire until the firemen got there. And then they like saluted him <laughs> and were like, thank you, know, thank you for helping us. Thanks, Captain Kirk. Yeah. And it's like anyone, but like, I was like, who, who could I, who could, who else, who, who now could tell that story? And I would kind of, cause I kind of believe him. Like uh-huh. he might be BSing, but like it is Captain Kirk, you know? Yeah. And like the only person I can really think of now is like The Rock, I guess. Uh huh. Yeah, or, he he's like, around it, that level for sure. Yeah, but it's it's interesting. I don't know. I don't know what to believe. Who who has? Yeah, there there aren't many. Uh, I guess. Well, Vin Diesel sort of has a similar, like charming ego yeah. about him, where he has like this massive ego, but everyone is just like, ah, this guy. <laughs> like Nimoy like Vin Diesel I could see them like you know putting a fire hat on him so he feels like a big real fireman you know I'm like oh that's fun good for him (laughs) yeah he gets the he gets the the fire department's like medal of valor or something yeah (laughs) it's for Uh, my family let Elvis and yeah yeah my firefighter family um and uh, I guess on a, to end that note, or just to get, before we go into the recap, um, a big part of Nimoy's like reason for directing the movie, what he saw like thematically, was he wanted to ask the question: How deeply should a friendship go? What are the sacrifices and obstacles that a friend could be could, could, is willing to go through for another friend? And like, mm-hmm. what are the sac? You know, like what 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 is the cost of that friendship? And uh, another thing he brought to the movie that I found interesting is what he called an actor's point of view. Uh, He looked at the success of the show and he says, you know, one thing that I don't think is getting enough credit for why this thing has worked for like 20 years now is this crew, this cast. Like without this specific group of actors in these roles, we wouldn't be making the third movie based on Star Trek, the series. So I'm really going to come into this and I really want to highlight and like show why these characters and these actors are so like endearing after all of these years. And I think that shines through in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, and Scott, how does, so this is uh 
I think it's cool that Norman watched these like, you know, Spock and Wrath of Khan and search for Spock in a row because this really feels like a like a serial. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so does the next one, actually. Um, mm-hmm. It's just not as uh, conjoined with the Genesis device as the first two are. Um, but it really right. does feel I mean, it literally I think the next movie like picks up like a day later or something like that. So um, but uh, this is a hell of a week. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Um, so we start with this uh, tiny recap screen at the center of the screen and then like slowly zoom in um, as, uh, as Spock uh, gets closer and closer to death. We get closer and closer to the tiny screen. Um, it it reminds me uh, immediately. It reminded me of um, the first trailer for the Star Wars special editions where <laughs> that the the first trailer is just like a tv and it's like for years we've only seen star wars like this and it's like you're watching it and it's like in mono um you know like and there's like little uh, x-wings fighting and then it's like but now and then like an x-wing goes past the screen and you're like getting to see everything on the big screen again that's what this reminded me of it was like i was like oh it's just like the star wars special edition trailer um nice but uh, but yeah, we get the we basically get a truncated ending of Wrath of Khan, um, with you know the funeral and and uh, they they fire uh, his casket, his tube, um, out uh, into space and it lands on Genesis, and then we go into the opening credits. Uh, and I just want to tell this fun story because I've been watching all of these with with um, with Bethany and uh, pa- past guests wife. of the show, my wife Bethany. Um, and, uh, uh, we, we got to the credit for, um, Sarek and she was like, his, his name is Sarek. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, so his name is just Star Trek without any T's. And I was like, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) holy shit. Wow. You're right. (laughs) I wonder if anyone's ever noticed that before. I don't know. But it was really funny. And so every time there was a scene with Sarah, she was like, oh, here comes Star Trek. (laughs) There he is. Star Trek, father of Spock. Oh, man. (laughs) This is my father, Star Trek. (laughs) The audience is like, wait, is he the the title character? Is the show about him? (laughs) Why is he Um, the so, so anyway, so the actual movie opens with Kirk and Morning, and um, sort of like wandering around the ship, and like the Enterprise is heading back to dock. Um, One and, thing I really yeah. liked about, like you know, just like the opening moments on the Enterprise. Yeah, um, I feel like the move with blockbusters today would be to like, you know, five years later, or. Right. Eight months later, and then right. it's like, you know, check off getting coffee with Kirk, and it's like, you know, it's time you started letting go, Kirk. It's been eight months or whatever. Uh, I really appreciate how it is like minutes after Khan, and we have to sit like with Kirk as he's like literally in like the immediate aftermath of like mourning. Right. Right. Like at most, it's like 12 hours, maybe. It's just whatever, however long it took them to get back to that space dock where they left right. mm-hmm. in Khan. Like, yeah. uh, there's that part where Chekhov has to man, you know, Spock's old seat at the bridge. And he's like, oh, this is weird. <laughs> right. And right. That, 
that young cadet is like, are, is it going to uh, be like a ceremony for us? Yeah. Were they, are they going to throw like a big party for us? Because we're heroes? And just yeah, like, you, my best friend died, you son of a bitch. Right? <laughs> I, I really like the delivery of that line, though. It's like, like, Lord knows we deserve it. We paid for it with our dearest blood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. There's a lot of really good Shatner um, in this movie. Yeah, there is. Uh, yeah. And he should he should credit uh, Nimoy more with that than he does. Oh, there sure. is a lovely, a lovely bit at the end of this, like, you know, little featurette on the Blu-ray. Uh, thank you to our Patreon uh, supporters for making that possible, by the way, um, where Nimoy just goes off on like, you know, everyone craps on this guy for being big and having like saying lines weird. But like that makes the show like that is Kirk and like his jauntiness and his, he's just, he's unafraid to be that big. And like, I hate, like he wouldn't, he owns his character and I got, I, I'm really happy with the stuff that got out of him in this one. Yeah. 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 He does really good work in this one. Um, so then we meet Krug, uh, who <laughs> is meeting up with, uh, some Klingon lady, like an ambassador, I think who is like, um, stolen a bunch of data on the Genesis device and wants to give it to him. Um, but he wants to, so he takes it, but she knows that like, she's doing this for like, you know, the greater Klingon empire and, and that she's going to be sacrificed because he doesn't, he wants to, doesn't want a paper trail basically. And so she blows up that ship. Um, so really quick, uh, introduction and, and execution of, uh, this uh, Klingon ambassador lady um, who seemed like she could have been a cool character. I don't know. <laughs> Doesn't even have a Norman, name. What do you? Th- yeah. Yeah. Do you, what do you think? Like, cause I, I had, I had a question too of like, wait, couldn't she have just teleported her out? Like what were we, you know, but what, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Like, especially because later in the movie, like we see that the Klingons have transporters cause they beam up like there's actually, do they, they, mu- yeah, they do. They, mu- they absolutely do. Cause they beam up and down on the planet. Like they right. don't use like a like a shuttle craft or anything like that. So yeah, like right. he absolutely could have. It it's very strange that I he guess did it's... not. But if she's like an important political person, then I guess there's more danger for her knowing and being out there. So like, mm-hmm. it's kind of shaky either way. Mm-hmm. I would argue, or Scott, please. I was just gonna say. I also think that Krug is stepping out of line. He's a little bit of a a rogue from the Klingon Empire. Um, where like, he's not, he's thinking like, I, I I feel like he's an extremist in terms of like, you know, he's like the, the, you know, MAGA Klingon, (laughs) you know, and, uh, and, and she's like, (laughs) she's, and, and she is, uh, related to that, you know, they're, they're, they're edgelords they're you yeah. know they're where was they're... where was this klingon ambassador on january 6th is what's got right saying. yeah absolutely a hundred percent um she she let him in the back door uh without a doubt and and i think that um i think that's why everything has to be on the dl because it's sort of like she, you know for for honorable reasons like she can't disassociate herself from her ambassador duties but also she doesn't believe in peace with you know the other federation with the federation or or the romulans or any of that and so i think she's she's on krug's side of things where he's like 
on the edge and like is like no 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 so I'm going to get this weapon and then I'm going to bring it to them and then they're going to be like oh well I mean if we have this weapon then yeah let's 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 annihilate everybody um which is what he wants cuz he thinks that's what Klingon should be doing not you know uh talking about peace or um even being like neutral in any way like they kind of seem to be cuz they don't seem like they're actively at war right now but they're also like not not it's a cold war i you know again the russians like right. we were talking about earlier but um but yeah so i think he just like he like wants to bring the fire and i don't think that the rest of the klingons necessarily agree with that um but she does i think that's how i read it anyway i don't know right they call it don't they they also call each other my love like in that scene which is weird oh that's right yeah yeah that's right um they reminded me, I get you know, as well as yeah, like the real world illusions. Now, uh, I, like we, listening to you, kind of reminds me of like, uh, like the Mandalorian is kind of like you learned they're kind of in an extremist cell, right? Um, what's that dude, Lee Pace from Guardians, Ronan uh, the Accuser, hammer guy? Like he's kind of Ronan yeah, the Ronan Accuser. The, Thank you, Norman. Yeah, yeah he's yeah. kind of an extremist for the Kree. Right. Right. Yeah, and and the fact that there's only, as we learn later in the movie, there's only twelve crew members on this bird bird of prey. Um, also, right. kind of a dead giveaway that these guys are extremists. Uh, yeah, because if have there a was, crew. yeah, because if there was like more support here, then you'd, there'd be more birds of prey. Like in the area, crew would right. be talking to other Klingons. So yeah, right. it just makes sense that he's just like he's like a Klingon Kirk. He's out here doing his own thing, like. He has something he's going to yeah. do to prove that he's right about like what he believes in and far, as far as like where the where the Klingon Empire should go compared to like the Federation or like what they should do next. Right. Or like, yeah, because like what I liked about I like that because a moment with, you know, the Klingon uh, ambassador where she's like, yeah, like, you know, I'll sacrifice myself. It kind of echoes like they treat the Klingons uh, like seriously in this movie. They do have a code of honor. They do have, but like they almost are like a mirror to Kirk's crew where what -hmm. they're doing in a literal, you know, it is technically treasonous. They are like incapacitating officers and sabotaging other Starfleet ships. And they're doing it for what they believe in. And I like the idea that these Klingons are also kind of doing that in like a dark Klingon way. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, he gets, like initial Genesis info out of this. Um, but uh, meanwhile, Enterprise, the Enterprise docks and there is shortly after they dock, there's a security alert in Spock's room and uh, Kirk goes to investigate and finds bones in there talking as Spock. And then, you know, starts, he says things like you have to take me home. And Kirk's like, you are home. We're on earth. And and he like gets confused and he's like, okay, let's get you to medical bay because you're talking nonsense. Um, but uh, but obviously it's uh, it's it's Spock's mind is talking through bones. He's he's sharing space in there. I kept um, wanting to find out if that was Leonard Nimoy doing ADR or DeForest Kelly, like trying to sound like Leonard Nimoy. I feel like it was a little a little combo of both. To me, it almost feels like he's doing an impression and then like Nimoy is doing ADR over it um, when he's in shadows. And then when he like pulls him out of the shadows, then it's just McCoy, I think. But uh, yeah, because yeah, there's something a little funny know. with the voice before he's mm-hmm. like in the light. 
Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Because um, of that other moment too later on where it's like you, you think they think it's Spock for a moment on the bridge, but it's Bones. And he's right. like, Yeah, Bones that's hundred percent ADR. Yeah. Bones do good. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. Um so <clears throat> so yeah. So the uh they they go um the crew, they go to the uh the base whatever on on the planet um they like you know they land on on earth or tel- transport to earth i don't know we don't see how they get there um but they're there they're on earth they're at the federation uh base and uh the um admiral in charge tells them basically informs them that the enterprise was badly damaged it had just gotten retrofitted they're not going to do it again the enterprise is being decommissioned uh they will take shore leave for a while um, in which they are not allowed to talk about Genesis because Genesis has become a point of contention um, in in politics on Earth and within the Federation uh, because some people think, like, we shouldn't have a power like this. We shouldn't be able to use something like this. Um, we should get rid of the Genesis and any, any research into it uh, so that no one can rebuild it. Other people disagree because they see all the the good they could do with Genesis, but in any way, it's like a political hot topic right now. And all of their knowledge on the Genesis, he tells them that they're just not allowed to talk about in public. Um, and the planet itself is uh, basically an out of bounds planet; like you can't go there. Um, and, it's quarantined. Uh, yeah, quarantined. And everybody a- is really bummed out about about, especially yes. bummed out about the Enterprise, um, especially Scotty. Who, yeah, everyone is on shore leave except for Scotty, who has made been made captain of engineering on the Excelsior, um, you know, with Captain Stanley, uh, and <laughs> Captain Stanley, <laughs> yeah, Captain Stanley, um, but uh, uh, yeah, I, it's it's an interesting place to put them. The idea of the Enterprise being decommissioned is sad. I always forget. That they had made that choice so that when the Enterprise is destroyed later in the movie, it's like sad, but also it's like, oh, look at it. It went out in a blaze of glory, you know? Right. Um, it didn't wind up in a junkyard. Out, it went out in a big way. Right, right. Yeah, like yeah. shitty Millennium get, Falcon. Get, like, yeah, scrap for parts or anything. Um, it, it, it went out in battle. Uh, if I'm not and, mistaken, Scott, I think yeah. they're like on an orbital like station this whole time. And yeah. I think that's why you don't remember them going to Earth. Okay, because they do go to Earth because we're in Kirk's apartment on Earth. That's true. Later. That's true. That's yeah. That's where the Admiral is on Earth. Yeah, the Admiral is on Earth as well because he goes to ask him to. Yeah. Okay. Then you're right. So that's why I'm confused because they're in a room with no (laughs) windows, so it could be either place. I guess Mm -hmm. I don't know. It's Um, uh, it's cool to hear see them finally acknowledge like that dude is like Jim. Like the the Enterprise has been out at sea for twenty years. Like it's time. Time. Yeah. You're old, Jim. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How do you feel, Jim? <laughs> feel bad, Young. man. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I love seeing Kirk's apartment again with all the old stuff on the walls. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, really cool. Uh, before there, though, we, we do get reintroduced to uh, Savik, uh, Savik 2.0, uh, and yes. Kirk's son, David. His adult son, um, David, yes. Who are on a science vessel um, called the Grissom, uh, in which they're like 
in orbit around Genesis and they find life on Genesis around where Spock's tube is, Spock's coffin. And they're like, well, that seems worth investigating. <laughs> Should we go down there? Because if we if we send a, a, a living uh, guy in a coffin down to her, we should probably go save him. I right. thought I heard the Our goofy bad. yell when we... <laughs> yeah. Whoops. When we launched him into space. And David's hey, like, Spock, my dad's going to love me. <laughs> um, uh, so Christy Alley did not return to the role of Savick because she was worried about being typecast. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm... I hot take. I, I don't have the actor's name memorized, but I Robin I Curtis. Think, Robin Curtis, thank you. Um, I don't know. I think she does a really solid job. She's got a little bit yeah. better of like the Vulcan energy compared to to Christy Alley. Like well, I just watched these back to back, and like there's casting whiplash for me because I forgot sure. that Savic changed actors. But I was like, I like yeah. Robin Curtis a little more too. I I like Robin Curtis. I will say that they give her hardly anything to play with here. Um, yeah. I will also say I don't know. I don't remember if this was ever mentioned in Wrath of Khan or if this is just mentioned in other materials later on. But Savik is supposed to be half Romulan. So in the same way that Spock is half human, she is half Romulan, which is why she's like a little off. In terms of, she's like got a little bit more of like an angry edge to her, um, yeah. But I don't know if that's like valid in like if that's something they thought of or if that's like a retcon that they that somebody came up with or or what the situation with that is. Um, but in any event, I have heard the typecast thing. However, I have also heard that she didn't want to come back if she wasn't going to be the new Spock because that was the intention originally. With, right. with Wrath of Khan was that Spock was going to die. We need a new Spock. And here's Savick. And so Savick was going to be, quote unquote, the new Spock going forward. But when they decided to bring Spock back, that left Savick with not a real role. And Christy Alley, who at this point was on Cheers, was probably like, no, nah, I'm good. I, I got I got a pretty good gig over in Cheers. So I don't I don't think I need to come back for this when it's not even like a real role anymore. Um Right. Which I I also understand, so I don't know. Um, uh, Norman, what do you think about the idea? Because I, I presumably that was like you know the quote the Meyer cut is yeah. you know Spock says dead, and they're like, hey, three cheers for Sarah Savick, the new Spock. Uh, how do you how do you feel about that conceptually? I mean, I can see like why there would be a drive to do that. Like, if you're going to get rid of Spock, someone needs to fill like his kind of sardonic role in the cast to like keep all the crew chemistry together. So like you need mm-hmm. to you need to carry that forward with somebody. So if you're just gonna have another Vulcan step in, then I guess that's what you're gonna do. Um, it's uh, very ironic that that is almost exactly her role in Cheers. <laughs> yeah, it's true. Right. Um, the um, Romulan thing also I... doesn't come up in Wrath of Khan as someone who just watched that. I think there is a subtle yeah. thing that you're supposed to take that she's not 100 percent Vulcan when she's crying at the end because that's not something that we would see like a Vulcan do. Yeah. Man, it's hard being a Vulcan. Um right? I I feel like um I don't know. I I like Robin Curtis as Savic Fine taken in a vacuum, but I think that she's doing like such a completely different thing than Christy Alley was that it just doesn't even feel like the same character to me. 
Um, yeah, right. And that's that's my main issue. It's just like she's so far removed from what Christy Alley was doing that it, it just doesn't feel right. Um, but taking it in a vacuum, I don't I don't dislike her performance at all. Yeah. Um, and like this is so this is such a serial. This is so like yeah. this, you know, and now the continuing story that it is. It's unfortunate that you don't have that through line of like, oh, hey, Savick. Yeah. Right. right, it kind of puts them in a hard um, spot when Chrissy Alley didn't come back. Also, like, where's Dr. Carol Marcus? Not even mentioned. Yeah. Not even mentioned. <laughs> Retired after the events of Wrath of Khan. <laughs> She's just <laughs> like, I'm done. That's it. No, I think, I think di- didn't they mention that, um, that she went to go, she's, like, in all of the, the political negotiations about Genesis. She's, like, you're, involved you're... in all of that political nonsense, I think. I believe you, even though I didn't, I might, I may have missed it, but like that so, makes so much more sense that they would be like, oh yeah, here's a line explaining what she's doing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I think that's what's going on. I don't remember where I heard that, but I feel like at some point somebody was like, uh, you know, Dr. Marcus has been like, you know, talking to everybody and blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Um, I'm pulling a Michael Eisner and believing you at face value. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Fair yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and if, if, and if no one did say that, well then there's my no prize. That's what she's doing. Um, <laughs> Speaking of uh, Captain Stanley, um, yeah. so <laughs> uh, I I I think that, but then it's like uh, going forward, right? There's another actress who plays a Vulcan in a in a, a future Star Trek movie, Kim Cattrall, who plays the Vulcan in um, Samantha. Yes, in yes, indeed, in uh, an undiscovered country. I think that like if they had been able to find her and had her just play Savick, I feel like it would have been a closer one-to-one from Christy Alley to Kim Cattrall. They feel mm-hmm. similar, like a similar vibe. Um, uh, yeah, for sure. Like a similar actress type. Like, I feel like they would go up for a lot of the same roles. Whereas Robin Curtis just feels so far removed from Christy Alley that it's odd. Um it's interesting. I didn't know. I, you know, I don't think they say in both movies that she's half Romulan. But as soon as you said that, I could kind of see that in her design. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally. Um, and I think if I, I, you know, I mean, you'll you'll tell us when we get there. But I think in in uh, Undiscovered Country, that was supposed to be Savick. Play like mm-hmm. that character in Undiscovered yeah. Country was supposed to be Savick, and then they like. It was either it was like Robin Curtis was like, no, Savick wouldn't do that. I'm not going to come back if that's what you're going to do. And so then they just made a new character, I think, mm-hmm. if I remember correctly. But I don't know. It's interesting. Savick is a weird once, character. Just do it again. Yeah. <laughs> Savick's a weird character. Like, there's just a lot going on with that character. They they tried lots of stuff and, and, and none of it. None of, like like that, like the end of this movie and they abandon it immediately. But like the end of this movie was supposed to suggest that she's like pregnant with Spock's baby. Um, uh, put a pin in that. I'm going to yeah, re- yeah, uh, yeah, bring that yeah, up when sure. we get to the final scene of the movie. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um, so heard, anyway. Yeah. Uh, okay. So so they're going to go investigate um, on Genesis because they're like, uh, LOL, that dead guy we sent to Genesis might actually not be a dead guy. Um, so, uh, Drake, where's the body of Christ? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, so then uh, everybody's <laughs> hanging out at Kirk's apartment. In in San Francisco, um, and uh, and then Sarek shows up, ruins the party, um, just just really puts a damper on everybody's spirits. Uh, I think it's were... adorable though that when the doorbell rings, Kirk's like, "Oh, Scotty's here." Yeah, yeah, that is good. 
Only um, one of us is missing. Must be scattered. Right, but. Yeah. Yeah, but in, in indeed it is Admiral Ad, no, Ambassador Star Trek. Ambassador um, Star Trek. And uh so everybody else leaves and they have this conversation where Sarek is like, look, if Spock went into a situation where he knew he was going to die, he would have given you his best friend in the entire galaxy. Uh, his he would have mind melded with you to save his spirit. And he's like, he didn't do that with me. And so they, he's like, can I just see if you're too stupid to realize that he did it? And he's like, yeah, sure, go ahead. And so he mind melds with him. And he's like, nope, nope, you're not too stupid. You're right. He didn't do that with you. Who the hell did he do it with then? Because he definitely would have had to do it with somebody. And they go and they look at security tapes and they find him doing it with McCoy. And they're like, oh, that's why McCoy was acting like a complete maniac. Um, And then at this point, Bethany says, wait, so (laughs) this is a movie about how they have to get Spock's ghost out of McCoy's blood. (laughs) And I'm like, yep, sure is. He's got ghosts in his blood. (laughs) (laughs) You got it. See, I have questions about that that whole thing, too, from watching Wrath of Khan directly into this is like, if they didn't know exactly what they were going to do for the third movie, the mind meld with McCoy at the end of Wrath of Khan feels really weird. Mm-hmm. So where was that yeah, originally going to go? It wasn't. It wasn't going to go. It was never a part of the plan. It was something that the producer and Leonard Nimoy came up with on the fly. Be like, oh, really? We're going to oh. add this in. Yeah, as a as a, they're like, we got to do something to make it seem like maybe Spock could come back because like the original plan was to kill Spock off, but then it was like they're having fun. Yeah, they're having a, he's like, he's like, oh, this is a lot more fun than motion picture was. Uh, maybe I don't want to do this. Maybe I don't want to die. And then, so they, they came up with that on the fly, but it's not. So like all they had on the, yeah, all they had on the set was like hand to the face, remember. And then it's like, okay, we'll, we'll figure out what that means later when we're writing Star Trek three. Interesting. So yeah. like if, if they had actually decided to like keep Spock dead, I really wonder where that would have gone. Like if anything would have been done with that, because there's so much focus on it. In the moment, in Wrath of Khan. Yeah. Well, I imagine right. that if they if they had, um, it, it is all it is covered all in one shot in Wrath of Khan, and so my guess is they just would have cut the shot out. They probably so would did have they decide to make this movie before they had released so, Wrath of Khan? They had decided so, not to like leave it open for Spock to come back. Okay. Yeah, I think. Because you, you said last week they did, like, test screenings of, like, both versions. And yes. The version, they, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Or, yeah, they, they did test screenings where Spock's death was definitive. And they were like, no, we don't like that. The tested horribly. And so that's how we get the, like, the Genesis montage and, like, Leonard Nimoy's voiceover. Mm-hmm. Um. But on the set, I don't know if this was included in the cut. If remember was in the, the, the I guess the, the sad cut, you yeah. know, but that was devised by Nimoy and uh, um, Harv Bennett on the shooting day. Hey, like, let's have a little moment where you put your hand in McCoy's face. Mm-hmm. So they had already shot that. I don't know if that was in the, the sad cut. Yeah. What, what I imagine is if they decided like, no, let's just definitively kill him. That test better or whatever. Um, <laughs> it, it, you know, they probably would have just like had Spock like do his 
nerve pinch on on McCoy and then just cut to him like turning around and going into the thing and that's it. Um and that would have been that would have been the end of that. Because uh, it was like it's shot in a way that is very easily like cut outable. So right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. I just wonder what would happen if they're like we're going to leave it open and then like something happens is like well we can't do that anymore. What would they have done in the it would third be movie? the it would have been the know. great like fans would still be talking about it today, yeah. right? Well, or maybe maybe they would have gone a couple of movies and then brought Spock back, like oh, you know, yeah. maybe maybe we find the adult like, Spock you know what? later. Yeah, you know what? Let's. I'm, I want to come back. Let's do this. Yeah. Um, there's a there's a post credit scene where uh, the Rock goes into Ava Mendez's office and he's like, "You believe in ghosts?" and drops like a file on the desk and it's Spock. <laughs> yeah. There's because because there is there is a there is a, a a version of what happens here where like we never return to Genesis. Genesis is fine. Like it's not all fucked up you know like <laughs> right um it, it's it's its own it, it did its thing and it does save spock but like there's an very interesting star trek movie in like waiting two movies you know and coming back years later and there is a new spock there who was raised by himself on genesis and is a completely different person you know right What's and, that? and then it's like yeah but then it's like well, then, like, oh, my God, imagine if we did Star Trek three and Star Trek four and then Star Trek five happens. And instead of the villain in Star Trek five, that's Spock. Oh, wow. Like the hood drops at the beginning out in the desert and it's Leonard Nimoy. And he's like, do you believe in God? And everyone's like, what? <laughs> that would have been like, insane. Complete. Yeah, that would have been insane. Yeah, like like he gets picked up I, by someone know, getting... on this this planet that's supposed to have no life, but someone is coming through, and they're just like, "There's a humanoid life form down there. What the hell is this?" They pick yeah. him up, and then he spends yeah. years among this like cult and becomes the villain from Star Trek Five. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then the the plot of Star Trek Five is like the 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 moral dilemma of well, we have his real mind in McCoy, right? But right. like, also, he's his own guy now. So, like, is it? Are we killing this guy if we put Spock's mind back in his body? And like that whole dilemma. But then it's also like he's the villain, so it's also right. Yeah, I think that could have been a really cool Star Trek movie, theoretically. <laughs> and ultimately, Kirk and Bones are like, "Well, that guy's an asshole." So yeah, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and to give uh, that would give Nimoy like, hey, maybe like make a new character. Like, what's this guy like? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, man. Uh, I think the first great joke of the movie is when Kirk goes to spring bones out of uh, the, the psych ward. He does like the Vulcan salute. and He goes, how many fingers am I holding up? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's not funny. And he's like, your sense of humor is back. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, I, that made me uh, laugh. Pretty like, hard, yeah. uh, uh, bones is lying right after that. He's like that. Green blooded son of a bitch. This is because of all the arguments he would lose. <laughs> it's yeah. so good. I love DeForest <laughs> Kelly. Oh yeah. God! Uh, see, this is the thing. This movie's so fun. Like, yeah. it's a lot more fun than Wrath of Khan. Wrath of Khan's yeah. a great movie, but God damn it, this movie's fun. Yeah, I like, think this so much of this movie just really makes fun. me laugh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because yeah. uh, it, it's all because like right after this, we get the Sulu moment, right? Yeah, don't call um, me tiny. <laughs> Yeah. Well, well, first, no, 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 because for because this is this this happens, and then, um, 
uh, Kirk then goes to ask for um, permission to go to to go to Genesis. Uh, right, right, right. Yeah, and 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 gets denied both taking the Enterprise and then also going to Genesis at all. Um, I thought that was a really interesting scene because, like, the way the Admiral is like, look, I don't know how I feel about Vulcan mysticism, you know? And yeah. suddenly, like, you know, knowing about the kind of, you know, the the origins, how, like, Judaism is sort of intertwined with, like, Vulcan culture mm-hmm. and, like, Sarek and Spock being one of the few Vulcans, it just kind of reminded me of when you see, like, people in the workplace being uncomfortable about, like, oh, like, you know, like, Michael doesn't celebrate Christmas, you know? Yeah. Or, like, the... That like prickliness. That, that's definitely there. I also think that there is more than a little um a uh, 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 Jedi uh situation stuff happening here because because again also we go we go, then we go to McCoy and he's he's meeting with somebody in a space bar about possibly getting a ship to go somewhere and I'm like yeah this is just this is the cantina scene you know um There's- and and I. And and all of this, like, I don't know about that Vulcan mysticism sounds a lot like, I don't know about all this Jedi stuff, like, doesn't seem right. real to me, you know. All I trust is a blaster, so. yeah. All that right, right. It's, that that it's all, CD it, bar it scene is so similar. funny. There's, like, a really, there's a moment in that that just made me laugh when I was watching this. And, like, I don't know if it's really supposed to be a joke, but there's, like, two people, like, drunk in a booth, like, giggling, petting tribbles. And I'm just like, what yeah. is happening in this bar? Yeah. Bethany was like, do they eat tribbles? I was like, no, they're like pets. And she's like, why are they on the table? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> and there's, there's like six of them just like all clustered yeah. on this table and they're just giggling, drunk, petting tribbles. It's really are, weird. Are they are they like are they watching them multiply before their eyes? Is that what's happening? Probably. Like, We're so <laughs> boned. <laughs> giggling uh, about the magic like, of life. And... Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's going to be like uh, 12 of these things before we leave. <laughs> then and just like know, in the like, background, uh, it another... just gets worse. There's like a tidal wave of tribbles slowly building in the corner <laughs> yeah. of the bar. If this was a Marvel movie, that would absolutely happen. You would set that up so that at the end of the scene, there's like a tidal wave of triples. Right. That's in like Guardians of the Galaxy 3. Yeah. <laughs> totally. Uh, another like moment of like, oh, an actor directed this is I really like how Nimoy sets... DeForest Kelly up with like he he kind of is channeling Spock while being McCoy and like watching those two souls try and inhabit one body like leads to a lot of really fun moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just makes me want more of it in the movie. Yeah. Right, yeah. Like it would be um, illogical for me to drink poison, you know. Like, why would I do that? <laughs> right. Okay, also it's man. clear that like McCoy has been here before. That waitress knows him. Mm-hmm. Oh, she knows him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um Yeah, so meanwhile, uh Savik and David, they go down to the planet, they follow the life form and then they find uh Spock's coffin, but it's got like all of these like critters climbing all over it and uh David realizes that they are uh, like amoeba that were on the ship when it landed that uh evolved into these creatures. Um, and they're like, well, there's your life form. And then they open the coffin and it's empty and it's like, well, <laughs> there's another one. And then it like somebody screams in the distance and they're like, okay, we should probably go follow that. <laughs> right. They scream and the ground um, shakes and they're like, that can't be good. I like the, 
the sort of slow roll reveal of like what has ha- what what is wrong with Genesis. Um, I think mm. it's it's done really, really well. I think. Um, yeah, we don't learn about like the proto matter yet, right? No, not yet. Yeah. Okay. Uh, um. So, uh, meanwhile, uh, Kirk and Sulu and Chekhov. So Sulu and Chekhov both agree to help Kirk. Um, Kirk's like, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm going to go out on my own. They're like, I'm com- we're coming with you. And he's like, cool, I need the help. And, uh, and they come up, they devise a plan and, uh, Chekhov goes on to the enterprise with Scotty. Um, meanwhile, Sulu and Kirk go and break McCoy out cause he was arrested for saying Genesis, the word Genesis too loudly. <laughs> at the and bar. trying to Vulcan neck pinch a security officer. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So he just, um, I wonder what happened to that tank. backwards speaking guy. Genesis. Probably get arrested too. Yeah, that guy. I hope so. Uh, Scott, it brings me no pleasure. Well, Norman, and it brings me no pleasure to tell either of you that uh, Leonard Nimoy did cut a McCoy barroom brawl from this sequence. Oh my god! Oh, uh, that would have been incredible. Wow. <laughs> I want it. I wonder. Is it in the director's like, cut? Is there a director's cut? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's the thing. Is like I. I don't. I don't. It must not have looked good. That's the only explanation, because, like, why would you cut that otherwise? <laughs> like, so many, like, yeah, the potential for antics and shenanigans. Is... Oh, man. Because it feels like they God, set up a bunch as so you, good. like, go through. Like, there's a bunch of set pieces that would be like, oh, like, someone's going to go through this table with all these tribbles on it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Man, that's a bummer. Uh, uh, I love that Chekhov and Sulu seem to have coordinated their outfits. Mm-hmm. Um, I like all the outfits in this movie. The like casual outfits look great. I love it. Yeah, yeah, they do. Oh, Sulu's yeah. fit is sexy. Sulu right. wearing that leather jacket like a cape—that's good stuff. Yeah, His like form when he's blasting the panel, you know? Yeah, yeah, good um, stuff. Yeah, I really like the costume design. I'm not but, necessarily yeah. crazy about like the really dark set design between this movie and Wrath of Khan, but I do really like all the mm-hmm. costuming in both movies. Yeah, mm-hmm. costuming's good. Uh, so they meet up with Ahura, um, who is working a, a transporter with this like young dude who's just like, "Hey, you're on your way out. You can work here if you want, but I need to. I need to do something else because my career is just starting, and I need to." I need to become a captain or something. And she's like, Jesus Christ, this guy, I can't wait to <laughs> shove him in a closet. And she does. That's great. It's really, it's really interesting that the way this movie, the, it's perspective on the young, mm-hmm. like in most stories like this, most blockbusters is usually like, you know, you want the hot young 20, 30 somethings. And then, you know, the old people can just like go die in a corner. And <laughs> this movie really, <laughs> Like between this guy and like, are we getting a parade guy? You know, it's mm-hmm. like, no, like the young, they're stupid. They don't know. They haven't survived what we have. They don't have the experience we have. And we are constantly underestimated and being told to put out to pasture. But we still have a lot of, you know, gas left in the tank. Mm. Is this is this the vibe that people who don't like the sequel trilogy wanted out of the sequel trilogy where it was just Probably. all the old people. Yes. Wow. I never thought about that. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. movies are about not passing the torch. They're about continuing right. to be the badass. 
and then right. it's not until the the TNG movies that the torch torch is actually passed from one generation to the next. Yeah. yeah, because like you know, with the with the addition, with the exception of Savick, like there are no legacy. Like you're, you know, you're the we're gonna give you the franchise is gonna be yours, Sarek. Like no one was even thinking about. They're like, no, it's Kirk and Spock and McCoy and Uhura, and yeah. Compare that to Star Wars, where it's like, well, we need a new, a, a fresh young faces to pass the torch to. When I think, yeah, a bunch of people just wanted like, no, we want search for Spock shenanigans yeah. with just you know Luke Han and Leia. Yeah, which right. is which is interesting. The idea of like introducing a new, a new cast of characters is interesting when you consider the fact that like, you would think that the the purpose of that would be like because we're just gonna keep making these movies forever, but then they stop abruptly with nine, and so then it's like right. <laughs> it's like well then. <laughs> Why did you do all that? Because we're not, like, you know, according to all of those actors, we're never going to see those characters again. Uh, yeah, like I was going to say, they kind of burned. Like they're like, no, like I, I never want to play Poe again. I never want to play Finn again. You yeah. know, like Daisy Ridley's like a shaky maybe. Yeah, and like oh, right. what was the point of all of this? Like what are we? <laughs> yeah, right. right, right. And it was just yeah. a perfect storm of like they all felt like not necessarily treated the best by Disney. The horrible fans, uh -huh. like in the backlash that created. And it's just like these actors just don't want anything to do with it anymore because they didn't get anything good out of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Man. I think, I, I, I think the best thing they could have done is either go all in on, on like Star Trek movie versions of Star Wars movies, of Star Wars sequels, or just not had any of the legacy characters at all <laughs> in, in those movies. <laughs> I'm not uh, I'm not super fresh on my Michael on that Michael Arndt script that was rejected, but I feel like it leaned in one of those directions, and like the powers of be didn't like it. Yeah, I think it leaned in the no legacy characters, and it wasn't the powers that be; it was J.J. Abrams that didn't like it. Got it. He was not on board when he was writing that script, and then he came on board and read it and was like, "This isn't what I want. I want Han. I want Luke. I want Leia. Well, maybe not Luke." <laughs> like, I mean, like, if you, you were know, going to make whatever. a Star Wars movie, wouldn't you want to use Luke Han and Leia? Like, I, I get the drive for that. I, I right. understand it from the perspective of someone who is J.J. Abrams' age. Yes, sure. Yeah, J.J. play the hits, Abrams. Right, but yeah. I, 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 I agree more with Michael Arndt that, like, I think it's more interesting to just have new characters because that's what the prequels are. Um, you know, they're mm -hmm. all new characters mostly. There's like right. we have like one legacy character, right? In quote unquote legacy character, uh, in the original trilogy in the form of Obi Wan and Yo or two Yoda, <laughs> right. Yoda and Obi Wan, right? That's it. Right. Those are the only two that carry into the prequels, right? My mm -hmm. misremembering. I mean, because like Darth Vader doesn't. I mean, count. well, I mean, I mean that the R two E two little R two. Oh yeah, R two D two. Right, right. The droids. Yeah. Okay. yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, anyway, anyway, that's it's like the same that numbers. They're not people. Then, really. all, all that being said, <laughs> uh, it very much seems like these movies are what everyone who complains about the sequel trilogy wanted the sequel trilogy to be. Yeah. Uh, I have an, I have beef with this movie, though. Similar okay. to the Vulcan ambassador. I don't love that. Ahura is like gone after this. Yeah. Yep. I don't like that either. Uh, I do not like that the rendezvous point she's talking about is Vulcan at the very end of the movie. Um, mm -hmm. That's a bummer. Right. It's weird that she doesn't get to be part of that 
panning shot of the crew looking on as the Enterprise, like, you know, dies in a blaze of glory. Right, right. Uh, yeah. I, I think I would have, like, preferred if she, like, stole a shuttle craft by herself yeah. and just, like, or joined like, up with them on the way out or something. Yeah. Or, like, made the kid work the transporter and then it's like, you or better some- lock yourself in the closet or I'm going to know about it. Yeah, you know? or, like, called yeah. in a favor and, like, somebody comes in and was just like, oh, yeah, Uhura did this for me when I was in, like, yeah. the academy. And so, yeah, I'll... Is <laughs> is Pike still alive at this point? I don't think so. You couldn't have, like, wheeled in and been like, hey, I'm here now. <laughs> yeah. Beep, 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 everybody. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> no, I don't, I don't think yeah. that can happen. Uh, <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. He's not even in Starfleet anymore because he stays behind on the on the on the planet with the with the people. Um, right. It's a, on yeah. the other forbidden mm-hmm. planet. Um, yeah, the other forbidden planet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's how the, his story ends in this uh, yeah. timeline, anyway. Ohura is like kind of frustrating as a character in in these movies and a little bit in in TOS too, where like there's all this stuff where it's like she gets set up like she's gonna be like this big badass thing, or and like there's all this hints that she is. But then she never carries through to like the end of what's going on. Mm-hmm. Like she always That's gets true. a setup um, moment, and then it never like really goes anywhere. That's true. It's kind of a big. I guess you know to to compliment Abrams after kind of roughing him up a little bit a couple minutes ago. It it, <laughs> it is it is something he attempts to correct with uh, Zoe Saldana's run with the character. Yes, for sure. Um, what about that blonde Yeoman from the early? What was her name? Yeoman. Something. Yeoman Rand. Uh, oh, Rand. Yeah. 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 She was in, um, wasn't she in she did Motion Picture? Voyager, I, I think. think. Well, yeah, I but know. I think she was in Motion Picture. Um, she was like the the head of the, she was the, the Enterprise's like lead medical officer. I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think. I think but, that's who that was. Nurse, nurse so, Rand or whatever. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, not, not, not crazy about the usage of Ahura and Nichelle Nichols legend. And I think, you know, she's used much better in the movies to come for fortunately, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's that one really weird thing that happens at five, yep. but we'll talk about it. <laughs> we'll, we'll get, get there. there. Or maybe we won't. Maybe we'll just, get maybe we'll just pretend that that, yeah. <laughs> pretend it doesn't happen. Um, <laughs> just look, look away from the screen awkwardly and pretend it's not happening. Um, <laughs> anyway, they steal the Enterprise, uh, and they make it out there. The Excelsior uh, the glint... follows. What's that? Oh, please, yeah. You know, you're, you're, you know, I thought you were going to skip over the thing, but you're not. No, the Excelsior follows. Um, they get the they get the space doors open, and then they take off. And then, uh, and the captain of the Excelsior is like, "Well, they they got another thing coming. If they can think they can outrace this beautiful, sexy machine." Um, and then he's like, "Hit the warp drive." And it warp drive doesn't work, and it's because Scotty, who is captain of engineering on the Excelsior, uh, sabotaged their warp engines. And with a twink, with a twinkle in his eye, he's like shaking the parts in his hand like they're yeah. like screws, right? And that's yeah. a that's a good line too. He's like souvenirs from one surgeon to another, and he just drops them into McCoy's hand. <laughs> it's so good. Oh, uh, another really great line earlier is when. Uh, 
he's telling uh he's telling him that uh earlier in the movie he's like he kirk asks scotty how long something's gonna take and he's like ah it's gonna take like four hours he's like we're gonna be there in two he's like i'll do the best i can he's like do you always (laughs) say that things are gonna take four times longer than they actually do and he was like how else do you think i'm gonna be a living legend as a miracle worker (laughs) right how else do you think i keep my reputation as a miracle worker (laughs) it's so good so good do you always multiply your Uh, repair estimates by a factor of four. <laughs> so good. It's so good. And uh, the arc, the, the the payoff of like, you know, Scotty sabotaging the Excelsior is like they've been setting up that everyone is like, God, the Excelsior, that's the future, man. That's the ship you want to be on. That's like the next thing. And he's like, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like that thing. Yeah. You give, but I don't like the way it my, looks. My, right? my grandma had wheels. Be a wet, she'd be a wagon. <laughs> Uh, James Duhon is so good. He's, good. he's so oh, good. God. And he just gets better in every movie. I think, like, I mean, he's yeah. so good in the next one, in four. He's mm. unbelievable in four. Um, anyway, uh, we go back to Savick and David, and they find um, a regenerated Spock. Uh, and this is when David reveals that he put, that the Genesis didn't work, and that he put proto matter into it in order to get it to to work um and uh and and Sophix is like wow you're a lot like your father uh you just made the thing happen because you wanted it to happen he was like you cheated yeah, yeah. change the parameters of the test um mm-hmm. and uh yeah so but the proto matter is unstable and that's why everything is like evolving so quickly um and dangerously it's kind of the most like Star Trek, the series that the movie gets to feel like, which is like tackling the idea of, you know, supposedly this utopian idealized science still falling victim to the human error of like wanting the thing right now and being impatient and, you know, that having serious unforeseen ramifications. Right. Yeah. Because like David um, implies that like up- Genesis would work. It just would have taken so much longer to work that it wouldn't have been worth it. Right. To which I say, Liet Kynes in Dune didn't have that problem. <laughs> she did the work. Yeah. Um, so they call up to the Grisham and uh, they're like, hey, uh, so funny story. We found Spock. Uh, he's a child. And, Baby uh, Spock. Yep. We should probably... Um, Maybe like uh, beam up and and the captain of the Grisham's like, uh, this is a little weird for me and I'm not sure I want that on my ship. So uh, is this a I'm weird gonna, Vulcan thing? Did they? Do I, I'm that? gonna call. Yeah, I'm gonna call. <laughs> I'm gonna call uh, Starfleet and I'm gonna ask for their advice because I don't know how to tackle this. Hey, and, you know that uh, dead guy that's call. supposed to be dead? He's not dead. Yeah, fact, he's a kid. tries to call. Communications <laughs> are blocked. Blocked by who? Blocked by Krug, um, who is nice. there. Uh, having found the location of Genesis through the the data that he uh, received from the ambassador lady that he blew up, um, mm-hmm. and uh, he destroys the Grisham. Well, no, one of his one of his uh, one of his uh, one of his overzealous uh, <laughs> cadets so, or whatever. Krug says, "Like just just shoot the engines out," and this guy <laughs> does that, and it like the l- lights up like a like a like a powder keg. Yeah. And he's like, Lucky I told shot. you, I wanted prisoners. <laughs> uh, and he just he just shoots him, just kills him right there. 
Um, and luckily it's, they're like, hey, there's uh, other life forms on the planet. I bet it's a landing party, so you can still get your prisoners that way. That moment of like when that dude is like, oh, excuse me, Krug, and he's like, dude, he's like, the, like the camera like down the barrel of the gun. It's almost like right. a yeah. Pulp Fiction shot. <laughs> Say one wrong thing, Torg. <laughs> he's just. <laughs> I'm ready to kill some, smoke some fools. Um, um, one thing I, you know, real quick about like the Excelsior Enterprise thing is yeah. it really felt a lot like a Pirates of the Caribbean, like ship stealing sequence. Yeah. And it was a cool, like, oh yeah, the nautical avenue that, you know, kind of takes a backseat compared to Khan. It's like the most like seafaring adventure thing, you know? Yeah. Totally. Totally. Well, and also they're they're literally pirating a ship, you know, like it's yeah, <laughs> right? yeah, it's it's really fun. Um, so Krug and a landing party go down to the planet. That's when Krug fights that snake thing, um, yep. which fights. is sad because the snake wasn't doing anything. <laughs> it was just mm-hmm. it was just there. Um, and uh, and then Spock is aging rapidly. Um, as, uh, as, as you're, as you're want to do when you want to bring back your, uh, 50 plus year old actor, um, into the role. They write it off because it's like, you know, the, like the amoebas that grew so rapidly, like Spock's body is growing rapidly. Right. And the, but not at the same rate as the planet, because he says, because I used that, um, that proto matter, everything is evolving rapidly. That's why Spock is aging rapidly and why the planet is is acting like this. And she's like, well, how long do we have? And he's like, days, hours. And I'm like, (laughs) yeah, but but I'm like, but I'm like, wait, so the planet has days or hours. The planet is evolving through its entire life cycle in a matter of like a day or hours. But like Spock, is, is it that like Spock's life cycle is synced to the planet's life cycle and it's not like a one to one thing? Because my, like I, I was just thinking like right. wouldn't Spock have aged like really quick then? <laughs> you know? because yeah. um, like that planets becomes... are around for like, you know, a, a yeah, really long time. Of... <laughs> yeah. It's definitely messy. Yeah. It's it, it be, it's almost like I don't know if like they cut back to Star Trek four and it's like, Wow, Spock, it's like you've aged a year. Even though it's only been like Yes, it's almost like we all have. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> well, we all spent some time on that planet, so you know. Um, but yeah, Spock ages into Ponfar, uh, which Rough is age. this is this situation in which so so okay so Vulcans have no emotions, right? That's their whole thing. Well, if you don't have any emotions, you don't have any lust, and if you don't have any lust, you're not going to be procreating. And if you're not going to be procreating, then your entire species is going to die. So they have this thing where every seven years, the males on their planet basically get so horny that if they don't, if they don't hit something, they're going to die. Um, and that's how the, the Vulcan species continues on is through this Ponfar situation that happens every seven years. So he's entering Ponfar. See, that's, that's the thing is like when you explain it like that, I feel like Ponfar is not as like, ridiculously like overly sexual like it is in like fan fiction and all of this stuff um because it is like there is a literal biological reason for why Ponfar needs to exist in Vulcans it's not just like wouldn't it be fun if like once every seven years Vulcans just got real horned up uh you know <laughs> don't we want an episode with horny Spock how do we make that happen <laughs> right yeah so it's a little uh, more complex than that but I, I but I I think like from a 
biological standpoint, I think it's a really interesting concept. Um, I just concept picture Gene Roddenberry in the writer's room back in the 60s, like Ted Lasso puts like a banner above the wall and just writes horny Spock. Horny Spock. Everybody has to tap it as they, as yeah. they exit the room. This is the goal. This is what we're working for. This, this right here, this is the goal. This is where the money is. Uh, uh, and it's cool. I think it kind of, it you know, Savick being there is is like really handy because she's able to contextualize like what Spock is going through to David and the audience because, you know, she is half Vulcan. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So then she uh, talks to uh, baby Spock, teenage Spock, and and does like some hand stuff with like her hands and his hands and whatever. And then we sort of cut away. Um, and some people feel that what she did was mind melded or whatever and got rid of his pond fire. Like just sort of like let it do its thing in, in mind meld form. And then, and then he got over it. However, my understanding is that there was a, the original concept of this was that she did sleep with Spock because it's the only way he has to mate or he's going to die. So she mates with Spock becomes impregnated with his child um, and that's why in a vo- in voyage home, she stays behind on Vulcan is because she's pregnant with his child and then was later going to come back in with the baby. And I think if I'm not mistaken, it's also go- was going to be the reason why she acts the way that she acts and does what she does in undiscovered country when she like the whole murder mystery thing. Mm. I, all of that was going to be related to like her being a mom or something now. I don't know. Um, and then when that changed, everything else changed. And then just like retroactively, they like took took away all of that. But what do we think uh, about that? About Savik being the mother of Spock's child? Uh, Norman? <laughs> it's awkward. Yeah, it's Nor- just Nor- awkward. Yeah, yeah. Norman, Norman's throwing his hands up. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, how old at the oldest is this Spock? At the oldest, say seven years after puberty. So let's say at at oldest, right? Uh, like thirteen plus seven, so like twenty. Like 20. At the oldest, right? Twenty, yeah, right. But yeah. with like no no upbringing, basically almost no mind. Like right. this is a real weird situation. Like the more you think about it, the yes. worse it gets. Yes, I'll tell you what though. If you know, if nothing else, from the point of view that Scott laid out. Uh, it seems logical. It does. Right. Like, this is like, well, he's going to die. They're otherwise. in this situation. Yeah. What yeah, am I supposed to far. do? I'm a, I'm a Vulcan. Um, got to roll up my sleeves and, and do what I got to do, I guess. Yeah. So I have a question. Do either of you believe that Spock, you know, Spock prime, you know, the Spock that died in wrath of Khan. What? You would you would say that his relationship with Savick was like mentor mentee, right? Yes, absolutely, a hundred percent. He was okay. training her for like a first officership or a or a command, like a hundred percent. Yeah, mm-hmm. like hey, like it's my job as a Vulcan in Starfleet to help other younger Vulcans like move up the ladder a little more easily. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. Um, there's there's please. a um. There's also like a look exchange that they have at the end of the movie 
when like Spock is like walking down the path as he's like starting to remember everything and he sees Savick and she has the most sheepish, embarrassed look on her face that I'm like, yeah, there's some people who don't believe that this was a thing that, that, that like they had any intention of like Savick and Spock slept together, but I don't know why she has that look on her face otherwise. Honestly. Yeah, I, I, um, I, I agree. Yeah. I, uh, I have a story. Okay. So, um, what was the name of the actor one more time to play Savick in, in this one? Uh, Robin Curtis. Robin Curtis. So, Robin Curtis tells the story because, you know, thankfully she had like the Vulcan on set with her, but um, she had difficulty kind of nailing the like Vulcan of like not reacting to anything. Like, you know, when she has to tell Kirk that David is dead, uh, a lot of stuff, she was like, ah, like, I feel like I'm not doing anything, blah, blah, blah. And so, they're shooting this the scene where Spock walks past everyone, and Leonard Nimoy, the director, uh, walks up to Robin Curtis, and she's like, "Hey, how, how should I do this?" And he goes, "Have you ever been walking? Imagine you're walking down the street in, the, in in a city, and all of a sudden you bump into someone, and you look up, and you are staring into the eyes of uh, a, a lover that maybe you were." unable to make things work and the relationship fell apart and you hadn't seen someone in years. And then all of a sudden that person is standing inches away from you and you're looking into their eyes and like, she starts blushing just like thinking about that, thinking of what her person would, you know, Oh my God. And Nemo's like that look, that's the look that I want. And she was like, what, what, what just happened? <laughs> and so <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> that is the direction that Nimoy gave her for giving that look. Well, well, that confirms it. There you go. I, I, I think that basically confirms it. Yeah. Um, that's in, that's It's just so interesting. And I don't know. I, I'll, we'll see how this story plays out because I, I, I assume you'll end up finding more information about this as we go along. Um, and, and Robert so. Curtis, you know, doesn't join them for the the fifth and sixth movies. Um, mm. But uh, I don't know. Uh, that That's... Such a such a I I just don't know where they thought that was gonna go like where that story was gonna go yeah and it I mean there is a, there is something interesting about it to me as like a reversal of their dynamic from Wrath of Khan into this and then maybe like the next step is an equalizing of their dynamic and like that's an interesting arc for those two characters to go through but like I don't know where it goes from there like how does it like fold yeah. into everything but it's but it's also the age difference. Even it's though, weird. like, it, when it didn't, when it happened, there wasn't the age difference was really in the opposite direction, but right. like, but like now, it, like the idea of like this young woman being the mother of this like sixty year old man's child is just so strange. Very, it is really. Weird. How old is Savick supposed in, to in be in Star Trek of all things? Yeah, how old is Savick supposed know. to be? Like in her twenties, maybe. Um, is the Vulcan lifespan roughly the that of a human? It's a little longer. I, I think, think it's, they, I they, think it's they longer, can yeah. live to like. Yeah, I think they live to like on average. I think they live to like 120 or something like that. Yeah, um, so it's kind of Hobbit like compared to like elves. Right. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Oh man, wow. Yeah. Well, I mean, we know we know how much Leonard Nimoy loves the Lord of the Rings. Um, he he wrote a whole album, a whole song about it. But yep. man, he would have been a good Elrond. Um, back in I, the day. Yes. Uh, 
hundred <laughs> percent. Oh wow, my yeah. god! Also, can we get Hugo weaving as a Vulcan? Just saying. Um, right. He's done. Yeah, he's done Matrix. He's been Megatron. Yeah. You know. Yeah. He needs to. He needs. He needs to I can't see up. him being in Star Wars. No, that doesn't. Well, maybe in something like, um, uh, like 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 a Rogue One type of type of thing. I mean, Ooh, I can see him being like him an like old an, Republic an Jedi master in something. But, oh, see, I, I was yeah. going to say I could see him being like an Empire or officer. Also that. I could like see a, both Like a villain. Those. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I retract anyway. my statement. Anyway. But. Uh, <laughs> Grand Moff Elrond. Uh, um, <laughs> Grand Moff Elrond. Poof. Um. So what were we talking about before? Man, that really that really swept my mind. Hugo Weaving. Uh, were, were we talking about like? Uh, I, I I mean I think we were just moving on from the Ponfar of it all. Yeah. Um. And yes. And, and and wow, is that a book? Is there a book called the Ponfar of it all? <laughs> I, I don't know. Okay. I hope so. <laughs> um, I'm sure there's fanfic somewhere. I'm, I'm sure you get that. a hit if you Google that. I guarantee it. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll try it. Um. So Krug finds uh Savick um and 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 the others and uh takes them prisoner um and then we as the enterprise shows up and we enter into like this enterprise versus uh a bird of prey fight um and then they both sort of like destabilize each other and but but he's like hey I've got prisoners on the planet so like I win and just to show you how serious I am I'm going to kill one of them and uh, and David takes the hit, and they're uh, about the, to kill Savick, and then David makes a very Kirk like move of like I'm gonna if I'm gonna die I'm gonna die wrestling, yeah, and grappling, yep, and yeah gets stabbed and in the gut gets 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 stabbed and uh, and yes indeed those Klingon bastards do kill Kirk's son, um, Nimoy to this day or you know to, I, I presumably like never was able to confirm whether or not Kirk stagger and fall backwards was improvised or Shatner, but he's like knowing Bill, it could very well have been like perfectly rehearsed and choreographed. Mm-hmm. Mm. That's he's uh he's he his acting is a lot sometimes, but man, it's it it's good. It's also like it, sometimes I think people underestimate how exaggerated people's reaction like real reactions to things are. I think most of the time, like acting can be almost too understated because they're afraid of looking stupid. But when these things actually happen, you know, these tragic things, your reaction is not worried about looking stupid. Your reaction is just genuine. And so there's a part of me that also thinks like this is almost more genuine acting than, you know, other times when mm-hmm. people are just like single tearing it, you know, because right. they don't want to look stupid or unattractive. And, uh, and and William Shatner is just not afraid to just fall out of his chair, um, <laughs> and shout about those Klingon bastards killing his son. Right, he says it like four times. Yeah, yeah. Uh, what do you what do you think of that scene, Norman? I really like it. I mean, Shatner commits to the bit. You got to go big for for this stuff, and he does. He always just a hundred percent committed to just like the biggest reaction he can muster in a scene. And like I, that's what makes Kirk memorable, is that it, mm-hmm. it's it's just he just is so like larger than life. Like Kirk is an action hero in this like utopian world, 
And so he sometimes doesn't feel like he belongs. And that's what makes Kirk interesting to me anyway. Yeah. He's like a man out of time in yeah. a way. And also, you know, as I kind of, I think I said earlier in the episode, Nimoy, Nimoy wanted the film to have this grand operatic, you know, scale. And I think that plays perfectly and matches perfectly uh, what Shatner had, you know, what his kind of acting style is. Mm-hmm. So it fits well. Um, and yeah, it's uh, Ker- uh, uh, Krug allows two minutes to inform his gallant crew yeah. of the of the evacuation. I was like a little, like little, a little moment of like, okay, cool. He still kind of has this like Klingon respect of like, yeah, this guy took his son's death well with honor. Right. Yeah. He almost took me out. He could have killed me right away. He didn't. I'll give him two minutes. Yeah. And then, uh, and then Kirk comes up with uh, a plan in which they are going to set the enterprise to self-destruct. The Klingons want to take over the enterprise um, and and uh, as he puts it, um, uh, raise their the Klingon flag on the Enterprise to sort of like signal the fact that like we're taking a Federation ship as our own. We're going to have the Genesis device and we're going to destroy the Federation. And all of this is going to be Klingon Federation space anyway soon. So like we might as well like show up back home with like a federation ship to be like bitches here it comes <laughs> whoa <laughs> crew we got crew, the flagship yeah, of starfleet yeah. what's up yeah um and, i love uh, that and scene so with the with three of them doing the self-destruct sequence by the way it's played so yes. good just dahan and, very, and koenig and shatner it's perfect everything about it is great except for the actual codes that they have to use yes the mo- they're like basic codes uh like 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 when you buy a, a a briefcase that has like the password on it, and it's just zero 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 until you reset it. I mean, but who would guess that? The final code, yeah, the final code in this is zero zero zero. Then, like Kirk, it zooms in and goes uh, zero, 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 zero. Destruct. <laughs> like, yeah, like I kept waiting for like another number, and then there just wasn't, and I was like, that's amazing. No. <laughs> it just makes it feel like really campy but like in a way that i just think is really fun yeah yeah uh so they they tell uh they tell krug like all right come on over uh and then they set it for one minute and they hop in the transporter go down to uh genesis just as the klingons are beaming up onto the enterprise they investigate and they're like everybody's gone but it seems to be running on autopilot the computer's saying something and Krug's like, let me hear. And he's like, here, listen. Seven, six, five. And he's like, get out of there. And I'm like, he's, they're not going to make it to the transporters in four seconds, right? guy. Like, it's not going to happen. Krug is like, that son of a bitch. I said no tricks. I specifically requested no tricks. Also, also wait a minute. Why? Why? Why is, not, why is Ahura not with them? If they can beam out of the Enterprise without somebody at the engineering console. If that's uh, yeah. something you can do, why did they need Uhura to stay behind? I don't know. Bullshit. It, it's nonsense, yeah. yeah. It is yeah. bullshit. Bullshit. It also, like, I would have just loved her and, pointing her phaser at that dude standing on the transporter platform being like, now flip the switch, hun. Do a good job for me. Yeah. Yeah. Stun yourself. <laughs> and, uh... Stun yourself. 
then the uh, the enterprise the enterprise blows up. Uh, notable Ken Ralston from ILM designed the little uh, grubby worms from Star Trek Two, uh, as well as like a lot of the like the dog Christopher Lloyd's dog in this is weird. I love that dog, mangy, gross little dog. I'm so sad when it dies. <laughs> uh, Ralston wa- always hated the look and design of the Enterprise. Thought it was ugly. Love blowing it up. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I just got kind of admired that. <laughs> I always hated that damn thing. Um... <laughs> <laughs> so they're uh, they're the crews on the planet, um, and the 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 Klingons that are like um, uh, sort of like keeping uh, uh, Savik and Spock prisoner um, because mm-hmm. David's dead. Uh, is uh, 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 one of them it. gets like? Uh, how does the first one die? He he gets like, like a tree falls, and then he 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 goes. Oh yeah, he goes over to Spock um, because Spock is like freaking out, and then Spock just lifts him up and just throws him, and he just dies. <laughs> he just throws him like fifty feet. Yeah. Um, I was a fan of the one, the Klingon that got uh, stunned so hard that he was lifted in the air like Marty McFly. Yeah. Well, I think like, he was. I think he got. I think he got iced. I think that. I think that was. But a, I thought. Uh, I thought if it's if it's a if it's shooted if it's tilted to death, you like disintegrate. Yeah. I mean, we don't see what happens to his body know, when maybe it hits yeah, the ground. I guess. Yeah, we don't see what happens to his body. He like. That's he true. flies away. He leaves our eye line because <laughs> he flies away. Yeah. I've like, um, never seen a phaser do that Kirk before. Ch- wow. Uh, Kirk uh, uh, checks on uh, David, um, confirms that he is in fact dead, and mm-hmm. then he starts to goad, um, goad Krug into uh, beaming them up, but instead Krug beams down, which I I feel like the math on beaming down and knowing exactly where like that pointing my 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 phaser forward will like have it pointed at them like the math <laughs> in that had to be pretty intense um i can only imagine right <laughs> and there's one like, klingon you know left on the ship in the other direction <laughs> yeah right only one klingon left um and uh and then we get a we get a, a kirk versus krug fight um, after uh, Krug beams all the other people, um, all the other except for Spock, all onto the bird, the bird of prey, the whole crew, um, and he doesn't he doesn't beam up Spock because Kirk tells him to, and he's like, "You want it, so I'm not going to." And it's just like, "You son of a bitch! You killed his son like five minutes ago." <laughs> yeah, but that's such a good villain move. I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it is good. no why? Because you want it. Yeah, because <laughs> you asked me to. I don't, I'm not going to do anything for you. Um, I have had enough of you. That, that is my favorite thing. Um, yeah, so they they fight to the edge of a cliff, uh, and Krug falls off of it. And then Kirk is like, "Give me your hand. I'll help you up. You don't have to die." <laughs> and instead, he like grabs Kirk's foot like and tries to drag yeah. him down with him. And then Kirk is like, all right, I, I I have had enough of you as he's like stomping him in the face. Um, son of a bitch. I just I like I like how dismiss how how like dismissive that is of just like I have had enough of you. 
just starts kicking him in the like head. A, like an elementary school teacher. Uh, it's just like, I have had enough of yeah. you. You're going into like, timeout. That's out. what you say when you're through. Yeah. Or yeah. like if you're throwing away like a vacuum or a printer that is just like giving you nothing but trouble, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Not not somebody who literally like inadvertently killed your son. Um, right. <laughs> I also like across this fight. It just uh, like Krug also just takes a knees in the balls and doesn't react. It's just like, what was that for, Kirk? <laughs> yeah. Well, he does drop him. He gets he gets mm. he releases Kirk. Yeah. Um, when he does that, at least uh, one last Christopher Lloyd story. Uh, now that uh, he's not in the movie anymore. There is a scene where he is like after taunting Savick and David and Spock, and he's uh, he speaks into his communicator, "Beam me up," and they beam him up. Uh, he blew numerous takes, Christopher Lloyd, because he kept instead of speaking into the recorder, he would look up towards the ship and be like, "Beam me up." <laughs> <laughs> that's so funny. And, and Nimoy had to be like, "No, you have that's with the recorder. You 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 speak into that." And uh, the actress playing Sarek was like, I kind of like the idea that his he had such Krug was of such authority that he could just like yell out and they would hear him through into space. the sky. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Krug's yelling out of the sky again. We better beam him up. Oh, there um, you can hear him. So uh, 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 Kirk uh, holds on to to Spock and and um, uh, shouts into the Klingon communicator in Klingon to beam him up, and they're like, Oh, that must be Krug. Uh, and they beam him up and then he, he takes over. He pulls, he pulls a Krug where he shows up with his gut, with his phaser drawn. Right. Um, yeah. And, uh, and they take over the, the bird of prey. The whole crew does. And then the thing uh, that the hardest in the movie yeah. happens where the, where he's just like, you're going to help me or I'll kill you. I don't deserve to live. All right. I'll kill you later. I laughed so hard at that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's good. No, it's, it's good. Kirk. It is. It's very good, Kirk. You said you were going to um, kill me on the I bridge lied. later. Yeah, that is that's so good. Uh, I I just love when Klingons are assholes, like when they're bad people, and no one respects their honor at that point. And so, like, <laughs> I just I think that's just such a funny way to treat Klingons, right? When they're assholes, it's like, no, you don't get honor. Like, sorry, <laughs> right? It You're just makes asshole. that it just makes that guy seem like a put upon office worker. He's just like, yes. what? <laughs> so good. I want to die. <laughs> um, <laughs> Star Trek Seven: The Wrath of That One Klingon that they disrespect. I well, I, I had a question. Like, it, did <laughs> they bring him up? Wrath yeah. of Torg. Does is Torg in Voyage Home? Is he like? Do they refer to him like? Well, we got that dude on the brig still, or like? I don't think so. I think we just forget about him. I don't know. So he just winds up back on Earth. on Vulcan? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, well, they go to Vulcan. Ohura's there with Sarek, with Star Trek. Star Trek himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they uh, do this whole ceremony where they're going to take uh, Spock's mind out of McCoy and uh, put it into Spock's new body. Um, and... Uh, there's this great line where she's like, hey, uh, just so you know, uh, if we do this, there's a chance that, uh, you know, this is just as dangerous for you as it is as it is for Spock. Um, so which which do you what do you want to do? 
And McCoy's like, well, I choose the danger. And he's just like, hell of a time to ask. Because it's just like, I don't even... Yeah, all right. I mean, what other choice do I have? Like, what, am I going to say no? Right. (laughs) There's all these people here. (laughs) Well, this would be embarrassing. Yeah. Danger. Oh, and he runs away. Right. And also, he didn't get asked by Spock originally, so... Right? He's like, I didn't ask for any of (laughs) this. Right, yeah. Like, Spock, volunteering you, Bal. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, we didn't even talk about that scene where McCoy says that he misses Spock. That's really good, too. Yeah, that is yeah, good. Yeah. That is good. Never thought I'd say uh, this, I thought I'd, but I'd I couldn't bear this. to lose you again. Real yeah, good yeah. stuff. He cares about him, but he'll never tell then, him in uh, person. Yeah, and then we get Spock uh, back, his mind back in his body as he like slowly starts remembering stuff. Um, and uh, that's when he says the line. Uh, your gym. Uh, the and... needs of the one outweigh the needs of the many. Mm-hmm. And he just looks really confused. Like that's not. I right. just wish. <laughs> yeah, what? I wish. I wish. I wish they'd put more of a fine point on it, where it was just like, like if that was the moment where where he says that, and Spock just like looks at him and then does the one ra- eyebrow raise, uh, and it, and yeah. then it's like. That's illogical. And then he's like, ah, he's back, everybody. He's back. And then they, and then uh, they yeah. come at him. Like, that would have been really great. That was like, that's great. not what I told you. Uh, yeah. And, and it's, you know, they rush him, you know, the crew, and they're all so happy to see them. And, like, you know, it's, uh, it's a beautiful, you know, the adventure continues. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I love, I, like, I, I love the beget like the uh the enterprise it's like stealing the enterprise everything before that you know and then i think this ending is like gorgeous looking and heartfelt mm-hmm. and emotional and perfectly acted mm-hmm. but like a lot of the genesis stuff and even like the ship like the klingon warboard stuff it kind of does seem like just like a solid episode of star trek mm-hmm. and i found myself like noticeably disengaged compared to like you know wrath of khan is just like breathless and like it's yeah. such a, you know, right. It's 15 minutes longer than this movie, it, it, but it feels half as long to watch. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. But it's bookended with such like peak Star Trek for me. That, yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. It works. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that's generally the issue with this movie, like compared to, to Khan. It's just like the thematics aren't nearly as strong as they are in Khan. Um, that just feels like, you know, this is a movie built backwards from a moment and, and Khan feels like it's built backwards from a, a concept, from a theme, you know? Um, yeah. And which, then I think like, you know, Meyer compared to Nimoy, like Nimoy really nails like the emotional character stuff, but like the action excitement stuff, it kind of, it isn't as like, well, well, like, or, you know, yeah, the craftsmanship compared to Meyer, you know, it's like a little bit of a drop. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I still love it, though. I love it so much. It's so, so good. Um, (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I don't know. That search for Spock. They found him. Uh, They found him. They They found him real quick, actually. That that was another another thing that that Bethany did during the credits was uh, uh, when it came up, when it said directed by Leonard Nimoy. She was like, found him. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my work here is done right. uh yeah 
I uh, I like the adventure continues. It's just unabashedly like, go- you know, optimistic, and you know, like it's not over yet. And yeah, it's interesting the idea of like promising a sequel instead of like, well, maybe there'll be one. Like, no, no, we're gonna we're gonna we're doing another one for this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, Wrath of Khan made enough That's like good. got enough critical acclaim and and success that like they were just gonna make as many of these as they could until one was a bomb. I think it was just always gonna be a thing. Yeah, and that's what they and did. That, and and I think I, I believe if I'm not mistaken, I think Voyage Home is their most successful Star Trek mm-hmm. movie with this with this original cast. Um, that makes me happy. Yeah. So They're like word of mouth was so good. They're like, no, this one's. Yeah. yeah. Save the whales. <laughs> uh, Norman, thanks so much for being here today. Any any closing thoughts on like, you know, these TOS movies or, you know, a search for Spock? I mean, I, I, I love this movie. Like, I hadn't, I hadn't rewatched this or Wrath of Khan in quite a while. And just, like, this is just a really fun thing to do. Um, this is my favorite of these movies, uh, of these original series movies. Um, it has been for a long time. And rewatching it, I'm glad that, like, that didn't shift at all. I'm just like, oh, wow. This makes me just as happy as I remember it making me. All the stuff in this movie is just so fun and, and like, funny and, and emotionally rich. And I love the stuff at the end with, with Spock. Um I was just thinking about this too. Like, this is only what the, this is like only the second live action appearance of Sarek, and then he shows up in a bunch of other stuff through TNG. But it's weird that like he has one episode in TOS, he shows up in this, and then he shows up in TNG a bunch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he looms so large to me. Like, I think of him as like, oh yeah, Spock's dad, Sarek. But yeah. uh, apparently, he's in a few episodes of the animated series as well. That's so weird. The animated series is just bizarre. Yeah. <clears throat> that's what i've heard i've never seen any of it there's uh there's they make a lot of uh like allusions to it in lower decks apparently oh yeah. i think it is considered canon I which probably, is just wild to me mm-hmm. yeah it definitely like, is yeah yeah like there's an episode of lower decks where they're like they find someone's like menagerie of stuff and there's like a giant skeleton in a blue starfleet uniform and uh, I was like, what is that? And I looked it up. And th- there's an episode of the animated series where a clone of Spock grows to be like the size of like a planet. <laughs> and, like that's supposed to be his skeleton. Wow. Sure. Wow. Go f- go for it. But yeah, no, this is just yeah. a fun ride. I'm, ha- I'm happy to have um, come on here and talk about this with you guys. <laughs> Look out when that guy goes through Ponfire. Who boy. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and happy Pon Far to all of you listening. Uh, <laughs> yes. We will uh, be back next week with the voyage home. Cannot wait for that discussion. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to rank these, but that one definitely holds like a very special place in my heart. Yeah, yeah. It's definitely. It's certainly like one of the most entertaining ones. Just like minute to minute, I think. Um, Though it does, it does have a surprisingly dry opening before the fun stuff starts. That's true. Yeah, Yeah. that's all I can think of (laughs) when I think of the fourth movie is the way it starts, and I'm always just like, "Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's extremely dry for like I, I like my memory is that it's like it's it's ten minutes longer than you think it is. Like the 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 opening, like before they get uh get to Earth. Um, but it's. 
It's really funny. I like the moment they steal the warbird and fly away. I'm like, oh, that's right. That's the ship they have for the entire fourth movie. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. That's true. Um, yeah. Uh, and it's, and, and to me, it's one of the reasons why that one could never be one of my favorites is because like they don't even have a, a Starfleet ship. Like the, you know, right. They're know. hiding in it's, the water on a, it's bird a very prey. like abnormal. Yeah, it's a very abnormal Star Trek movie, and I I, yeah. I love it, but I don't think it could ever be my favorite because it's just so abnormal. Isn't it but like super I weird timeline wise like, too, based on like what Khan's timeline is supposed to be? Like, because what year does that uh, movie take place they, in the past? I don't remember, but I do remember it is like weird um, because Khan leaves the no Earth in nineteen ninety six by his own reckoning. Yeah, right, right, right. I think, I think they've, yeah, I think they've had to <laughs> mess with Ah, that. yes. 2063, when I left yeah. planet Earth. Oh, boy. Um, anyway. Everything all right. Was super normal. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's, we'll, we'll, we'll go into that next week. But for now, uh, yeah, support the Patreon, leave a review for us on, uh, Apple Podcasts. Mm-hmm. Or a star rating on Spotify really helps us out. I don't know why we don't do this every week. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we will uh, we will be back next week with Voyage Home. But for now, the adventure continues. Mm-hmm.